You know, no one likes to be played for a fool. Uh, sometimes the cost that comes of being played for a fool isn't that great. Sometimes it's, it's nothing more than maybe a little bit of embarrassment and maybe just a little bit of money. Maybe you saw one of those wonderful, wonderful telemarketers on TV selling you something that you just had to have, that your life would not be complete for only $19.95. It and another one could be free for yours if you'd call right now. And so you picked up that phone and you called expecting that product to do everything for you only to discover it does nothing and neither does the free one they sent. So sometimes being fooled is cost us a little bit, a little bit of embarrassment, maybe a little bit of money. In the big scheme of things, not that big a deal. Other times, though, being played for a fool can cost you greatly. Yes, it can cost you financially, but it can also cost you emotionally, and more tragically, it can cost you spiritually. And that's why it's so important that speaking of our spiritual life, that we make sure that we're striving to not be fooled. It's for that reason that several times throughout Scripture you see these words, don't be deceived. Over and over again, throughout both Old and New Testament, you see this warning, don't be deceived. What does it mean to be deceived? It means don't be fooled. But taking it a little bit further with our understanding, it's actually talking about don't be led astray. Don't be pulled away from Jesus. Don't be carried away from Him. Do not be deceived. So as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, the passage that Colt read for us just a few moments ago, that particular passage, there were those in Corinth who were being led astray by false teachers. And so there we hear the Apostle Paul write the words that were read a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. He said, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So Paul is watching. He's watching. He knows what's going on there within the congregation, within the church, and he is concerned. And that concern takes him back to the very beginning. He goes all the way back to the beginning there in the garden, and he remembers what happened to Eve. And he says, I'm afraid that the same thing that happened to Eve is going to happen to you. Do not be deceived. Don't be led astray. Now that's a concern that all of us, we should all share in that same concern. Why? Because the world has proven to be very, very effective in the lies that it tells. The very things that we hear that oftentimes deceive us that will lead us astray. A moment ago, as our brother Billy was leading us in our prayer, I greatly appreciated what he said when he prayed for our country. Uh, and as David mentioned a moment ago, we do live in a very blessed nation. But did you know that over the last 10 years, Christianity in America has declined by 12%. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ has declined over the last decade by 12%. That may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's huge. It's huge for many of us who think that this nation is built upon those values, isn't it? To know that, no, 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 those values that we hold so dear, people are going in the other direction. Now there are plenty of factors that could come into play as to why it's gone down 12%. One is that, quite frankly, the death rate 
The conversion rate hasn't caught up with the, de- the death rate. And that's something we've seen here at Rainbow, isn't it? We've seen more people that we love who have passed on from this life. They've died in recent years than what we have converted to Christ. And so when that happens, there's going to be an imbalance of numbers. But we also can think of a lot of people who have left the Lord. It's not a matter of death. It's just that there's a lot of people who 10 years ago would have claimed to be faithful followers of Jesus, but they're not anymore. Why can I say that with such a surety? Because we know their names. We all know people in our own personal lives that at one point in time, not too many years ago, we would have looked upon them and thought they were a faithful child of God based on their actions. But now, now there are those who they think Jesus is just one of many options when it comes to your spiritual life. Or now, there are those who have just become completely atheistic. They don't believe that God exists at all. Or now, there are those who, while they haven't completely left the faith in that way, they are absolutely listening to so many of the deceptions of Satan that their life and the actions in their life definitely reflect someone living much more for the world than trying to be a devoted devoted follower of Jesus. So you see, we need to be very, very careful. We need to be very, very careful that we too are not led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. For the next several weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at several lies that the world uses, and they use it in a very effective way to deceive us and to pull us away from that pure devotion to Christ. And when I talk about the world, I'm talking about He who is the Prince of this world. I'm talking about Satan himself. Peter does a magnificent job of painting this picture to describe who Satan is. In 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, he says, Be alert and be sober-minded. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's who he is. He is that roaring lion. 24-7. He's always on the prowl. He's stalking. He and his his demons are stalking. They're ever just off a little bit, off, off in the weeds. Maybe you don't always see that they're there, but they're there. And they're watching for opportunity to strike. And the reason they want to strike, the reason they want to pounce, isn't because they just want to hang out with you because they really like you. He wants to devour you. And like lifeless prey in the mouth of a lion, he wants to walk away with your soul. That's who Satan is. That's what his goal is. Is that something that alarms us? It should be. Is that something that causes us to absolutely live in constant fear and terror of Satan? No, it should not be. And the reason it should not be is because we also see in Scripture in 1 John 4 and verse 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So if you are a child of God, the Spirit of God is in you. And that Spirit of God is greater than the Spirit of the world. It's greater than the Spirit of Satan himself. 
The spirit of Satan has no power over you. Hear me when I say that. Satan has zero power over you. The only power he has is that which you give him. You see, at the cross, when Jesus died, he was that perfect sacrifice. And when by the power of God, he overcame death, they defeated Satan. Defeated sin and death in that moment. And now, now the power that we oftentimes attribute to Satan, the influence that he has over us, it's only there because we've allowed it to be. We don't have to be afraid of him, but we definitely need to be aware of him. This is not Satan, by the way. <laughs> if this kind of goofy cartoon image is what you think of when you think of the devil, this is not who we're talking about today. But I think it's so important for us to understand that he is real. Because when we ignore that he's there, when we ignore his reality, that's when we begin to do what? We lower our defenses. We begin to lower that armor of God. We think that we're okay. We think we're safe. He can't do anything to me. But he's always here. He's always prowling. He's always seeking to deceive. But when I begin to become a little bit complacent, when I become apathetic, when I let down my guard, woo! That's when he's going to strike. And that's when he takes so many of us. I think it's very important that we understand that he is real. There was a, a survey done by the Barna Group that concluded six out of ten Christians simply believe Satan is a symbol of evil. Did you hear that? Six out of ten Christians of those who they surveyed, six out of ten believe Satan is merely a symbol of evil. You want to know what I believe one of the greatest, most effective lies that Satan has ever told, that people have begun to believe. It may be hard sometimes to convince people that God doesn't exist. There, there may be too much proof in nature sometimes to get people to believe God doesn't exist. So I think Satan went the other way. If Satan can convince people he doesn't exist, then they lower their guard. Then they stop fighting him. Because we don't believe he's real. Throughout the Bible, we never see anything about Satan being merely a symbol. His demons merely being a symbol of evil. When you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, there is Adam and Eve, and there with that serpent. That serpent does not represent evil. That is the evil one. When you see Jesus there in the wilderness, and you see Jesus being tempted, He's not just having this delusion uh, because he's so hungry and he's just imagining something. No, no, Matthew 4 verse 1 tells us that is the devil himself. And so it is very, very important, church, that we never stop believing that Satan is real. Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is not just symbolic language. This is a war. This is a spiritual war that is raging 
in all of us. A war between the Spirit of God, a war between the spirit of evil, a war that in our own personal lives and in our heads and our hearts, a war that we struggle with and we fight with every single day. Satan is so much more than just merely a symbol of evil. Jesus Himself said of Satan, of His ability to be deceptive, Jesus called Him the Father of lies. You see, that's who the devil is. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Did you hear that? The deceiver of the whole world. That's who Satan is. That's who the devil is. Yes, he was defeated at the cross, but he continues to be the deceiver of the whole world. He continues to lie to us, to tempt us, to fool us. So that we let our guard down. So that we're ultimately led astray. We're drawn away from that sincere, pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And if by chance, if by chance you think that you have never been fooled, you are only fooling yourself. First John chapter 1 and verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth? The truth is not in us. All of us at some point in our life have been fooled. All of us more than likely are, const- are currently being fooled. And if we think we're not, we're only deceiving ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves. So all of us, all of us can become prey, can become victim to Satan. It seems like there are probably three groups that are most oftentimes victims to being fooled. The first of which are, are those who are naive. I would put Eve in this particular group. If I were to categorize some folks, if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, there she and Adam, they're living in perfect harmony with God. It is just an amazing relationship they have with him in the Garden of Eden. I can only imagine, imagine my mind can only begin to imagine, try to fathom how, how beautiful this whole thing was. And they did the one thing they were told not to do. You said, how? <laughs> I mean, you got one thing, right? How do you mess it up for the rest of us? How, how do you fall temptation to the one thing that God asked you not to do? Well, Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? To my knowledge, I don't guess Eve knew how evil worked because evil had not yet been introduced to the world through sin. Eve made a very big mistake. Eve carried on a conversation a conversation she was not prepared for. It, it, the best thing for her to do in that situation would have been what? To walk away, man. <laughs> Just walk away from the conversation as a whole. But a lot of us, we've done the same thing. We've had conversations, whether it be with ourselves or with someone else, that has brought us to a point that we've begun to believe things or do things we'd have never done before had we just walked away when the temptation was 
right there in front of us. Eve? Eve didn't know. She didn't know how crafty and how subtle, how sly. She didn't know what a liar that Satan is. And being so naive, that then made she and Adam both pretty easy targets. You say, okay, now hold on now. If, if they were just not so naive, as we'd say here in the South, bless their heart, they just couldn't help being so naive, then surely they should like, get off the hook for committing the sin, right? No. No. Because the devil didn't make them do it. We like to say that sometimes, don't we? we whenever we've done something we know we shouldn't have done or said something we know we shouldn't have said, <sighs> got to blame somebody because we don't want to take the responsibility ourselves. Say, well, the devil made me do it, man. <laughs> no. The devil may have put a very tempting situation in front of you. He may have done a marvelous job telling you some lie, as he did with Adam and Eve. But the choice was theirs. That's why they were still accountable for the sin that they committed. They had a choice to make. The devil didn't make them do it any more than the devil's ever made any of us do anything that we on our own have chosen to do. Satan is so effective, he's good at what he does. He's the best. So how can you ever become so effective? I think, all right, it's because he's the master of disguise, right? Like that, That's really why he's as good as he is. Because if Satan approached any one of us looking like pure evil would look, we're probably running the other way. But that's not how Satan approaches you. Satan approaches you as something that's beautiful something you want, something that's tantalizing. The Apostle Paul would write about this as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 13. He says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Okay, but now listen to this. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise as servants of righteousness their end will correspond to their deeds. Their judgment, in other words, will correspond to their actions. He doesn't approach you looking like death. He doesn't approach you looking uh, like, like the zombie that, that Brother David was referring to a moment ago for the Lord's Supper. That's not how Satan comes. Satan is not going to approach you as some like great, big, scary being. That big red guy with horns and, and the pointy tail and the, and the pitchfork. If that guy comes up to you, you're going to run. But if it's something that looks sweet, if it's someone that seems innocent, Someone who seems harmless. Someone that seems they're more of light than darkness. That's when we listen. And those who are master disguisers, Satan comes and he, yes, appears as though he has your best interest at heart. And he comes across as lovely and insightful and kind. That's not who he is. And you have to be able to see through that or you're going to be fooled every single time. We go back to Genesis. We still see this play out because the serpent didn't talk to Eve like an enemy. Most of us, we read this, right? And we go, 
yo, man, if a, if a serpent came up and started talking to me, I'm out. <laughs> and, and that would definitely be the way we would respond, but I, I'm, Satan wouldn't approach us as a serpent, would he? No, he wouldn't. He would find some other way, something that would, would tantalize us, something where we would listen. And he wouldn't speak to us as an enemy, and he wouldn't speak to us as someone who was trying to kill us and oppress us. He'd speak to us as a friend. That's what he did with Eve. He said, you know, are you sure that's really what God said? I mean, there's just so much in this world I don't want you to miss out on. And I really, I really feel like God is probably keeping you and Adam from really enjoying all that this life could provide. The serpent said there in verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What a nice guy. <laughs> he seems like he has her best interest at heart. But it's a lie. Just because something sounds good or looks good doesn't mean that it is. It's no different than the lie that a boyfriend or girlfriend might tell one another in the heat of passion. They kiss anyone of them says, you know what, let's go. I know we're not married, but let's go ahead and have sex. Because we love each other, it'll be okay. See, it's the same kind of lie. It looks good, it sounds good, but it's still a lie. And those kind of lies, those of us who are naive in those moments, we often will fall victim to. Another category are those who would be fatigued or easily fooled. Those who are tired. I would put... I'd put Samson in this category. He was fooled by his wife to give up the secret of his strength. He knew what she was trying to do. He knew that she was trying to trick him. But after a while, he just got tired of fighting, y'all. In Judges chapter 16, it says there, beginning of verse 15, she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. He knew she was trying to trick him. He knew the absolute wrong thing to do was tell her the secret to his strength. But he was tired, wasn't he, guys? She was nagging him day after day after day. She kept on and on and on. He got exhausted. He is sick of fighting the fight. Fine. <laughs> I'll just tell you. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'll just tell you. The 12-step community has a word they encourage their members to keep at the forefront of their brain. The member is HALT. It stands for hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And the idea is that any of these things, when a person is feeling these emotions, we become much more susceptible to giving in to that which tempts us. Being tired. Being tired makes you much more vulnerable to all of the deception of Satan. You ever thought, maybe it's Satan behind our ever-busy schedules? where we are running from post to pillar day after day. We are absolutely exhausted. And in those moments, we are absolutely vulnerable. We need to be very careful that we're aware 
of all the ways that Satan is attacking us, tempting us, fooling us. Another category is that those who are prideful are easily fooled. If you believe in your heart that you are a very intelligent person, that you are a very spiritual person, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up to be fooled by Satan. If you go back to Obadiah, Obadiah said in verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cleft of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The pride of your heart has deceived you. If we really want to be serious about being someone who has the right relationship with God, we have to have a humble heart. We can't go about this life prideful. We have to have a humble heart that acknowledges we need help and that we're willing to seek the help we need. And we have to have that, the humility of heart that even when it comes to every thought, every decision, every question and answer we seek, we have to have the humility of heart to say, but what does the Bible say? Because I understand that the Bible is the final standard, that it is the Word of God. What does he say? But what does Satan typically whisper? Satan whispers, listen, when it comes to your worldview, when it comes to your thoughts and your decisions, look man, as long as it feels good, as long as it feels right to you, who's, who's anybody to tell you you're wrong? As long as your, your choices make you happy, who's anybody to tell you you shouldn't do it? And we listen to that. We fall victim to that deception. Rather than searching for what God says, we think that what we think or what we feel will be good enough. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard someone say, yes, I can see or I can hear what the Bible says, but I just don't know that's what God meant. I'd be a pretty rich fella. If I had a dollar for every time I thought it, I'd be a pretty rich fella. We have those moments. We have those doubts. We have those questions. But we have to be humble enough come back to whatever the final authority is. Come back to what the Word of God actually says. We need to be a people that God is looking for. Listen to how God would speak through the prophet Isaiah about those whom He is looking for. In Isaiah 66 and verse 2, it says, My hand made all these things and brought them into being, says the Lord. In other words, God created life Everything you look around and see, God created it and God is sustaining it. But here is where I will look. The Creator and Sustainer of life, here is, is who He is looking for. To the humble and contrite in spirit who tremble at My Word. That's who God is looking for. Not the prideful God is looking for us 
to be a people who are humble and contrite. A people who tremble at His Word. In other words, we are in absolute awe of God, not only as Creator, but also His authority. And we recognize that His Word is that authority. And we surrender to it as the ultimate authority. May we always be a people who are humble. May we always be a people in search of the will and the Word of God. And if we will, we'll begin to find that being fooled by Satan starts to lessen. It doesn't go away. <laughs> it's never going to go away this side of eternity, okay? We will always succumb to the temptations of Satan from time to time. Sometimes from day to day. But those moments will lessen in our life the more we listen to God over listening to our own feelings, our own opinions, or what the world around us tells us, deceives us that we should believe. Maybe you're here today Maybe you find yourself falling into one of, those, one of those categories. Maybe you are just absolutely exhausted with life because you're just always so busy that it's so easy to give in to the temptations of Satan because you are just so busy doing everything else but the will and the work of the Lord. Maybe that's something you want to seek the prayers of the church for. Or, or maybe... Maybe you can look back as I can in my own life and, and you can begin to see some of the times where you've been naive yourself and, and you've believed those lies of Satan. Maybe you've just been very prideful. Maybe your heart and your mind has been so full of pride it hasn't allowed you to listen to the Word of God and actually obey it because of the pride. Maybe that's something you need to seek His forgiveness of. My prayer, Rainbow, is that we will always be a people who will never be led astray by the thoughts of our mind, by the deceptions of Satan. And we will never be a people who allow ourselves to be carried away from that which God has so richly given to us. And, and if we can help you in, in coming back to Him or just help to strengthen you as you strive to, to maintain the, that purity and devotion of Jesus Christ in your mind and in your heart, we'd be honored to help you with that. Won't you come as we stand and sing?